you are at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder. So I think things are changing. I think five years ago, I would have said it's warm intro and warm intro only. I think now warm intros are still helpful. I mean, look, I think the way I think about it is a high quality warm intro from somebody that I really trust is very valuable. A warm intro from someone I don't know that well or who I don't sort of have a huge history of working with is sort of less valuable to me. So I would say increasingly we're taking more meetings with people who can just write good cold email. And I'd argue in the last year or so, the quality of the cold pitches that I've been getting has gone up pretty dramatically. And I'd say the average cold pitch I get is actually pretty good. And so I'm, I'm open to sort of hearing from people um, in that manner. Welcome to Foundership AQ. Today, my guest is Charles Hudson. He is the managing partner at Precursor Ventures, a seed stage investment firm based out of San Francisco. Prior to launching Precursor, Charles was a partner with Softec VC, one of the most active seed stage investors in internet and mobile startups. He was also the co-founder and CEO of Bionic Panda Games. And lastly, he is a lecturer at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Hi Charles, welcome to Founders FAQ. You have met tons of founders and when you first met founder, how do you evaluate her? It's really hard to know how to evaluate founders. I mean, I think for us it's particularly difficult because a lot of the founders that we back do not have that would describe as long track record. This is founders are not repeat founders. The easiest sort of hack to evaluating founders. I personally don't think that's a very useful hack. I mean It's a proxy for experience, but what we focus on is what level of insights does the founder we're talking to have about the business problem that they're trying to solve. And I guess what I'd say is I found that like your ability to be insightful and smart about a problem is not actually correlated to previous experience. It tends to be more correlated to how much time and energy you put into thinking about the problem you're trying to solve. And I feel like that's something that anybody can do regardless of experience. So we place a lot of weight on a founder's unique insights, their understanding of like the mechanics of the problem, and things of that nature. That's really, really important to us. I get it. And while evaluating the founders, do you think the track record of the founder should match the current startup vibe that she's starting? It's a really hard question to answer because we've seen both happen. What I will say is, Like, we'll take digital health, for for example. I think there's certain problems in digital health that if it's your goal to solve those problems, you really need to be an insider, right? So if you're doing something that's, like, really focused on the specifics of how healthcare, how hospitals manage patient data in the operating room, it sure does help to be an expert there. But I think if you're trying to do something that kind of breaks the mold, and it's different and kind of disruptive to the system, I think those people can come from outside of the system for sure. The only risk is they have to have some sense for how the system works and what parts of the system they can see that would change and which parts are kind of dangerous to touch. 
Yes, I get it. And the reach out to VCs are pretty important. And while they are reaching out to you, do you prefer warm intros or cold emails? So I think things are changing. I think five years ago, I would have said it's warm intro and warm intro only. I think now warm intros are still helpful. I mean, look, I think the way I think about it is a high-quality warm intro from somebody that I really trust is very valuable. A warm intro from someone I don't know that well or who I don't sort of have a huge history of working with is sort of less valuable to me. So I would say increasingly we're taking more meetings with people who can just write good cold email. And I'd argue in the last year or so, the quality of the cold pitches that I've been getting has gone up pretty dramatically. And now I'd say the average cold pitch I get is actually pretty good. And so I'm, I'm open to sort of hearing from people um, in that manner. Great. Yeah. And what's your thought about solo founders versus group of founders? It's really funny. We've had a lot of success. I mean, a lot of success with solo founders. And my working thesis is if you don't have somebody around at the moment of conception for the business, there's no reason to sort of force fit by having a co-founder. Um, the other thing I will say is a lot of our co-founders is a single founder situation. It actually means you have a lot of equity to play with when you're trying to build your team. So, you know, if your co-founder is technical, you have, you know, a lot of the equity tied up in one engineer. If you don't have a technical co-founder, you have the ability to give two or three engineers really meaningful equity grants and still have plenty left over for the rest of the team. So I think there's like a big stigma about solo co-founders, but I will say this. Starting a company is such an emotional roller coaster of a journey. It's really hard to do it as a solo founder. Not impossible. It's just really difficult. And you have met the team and you really like them, but you don't like to market. Do you even make the deal? A while ago, we used to say we have to like both. And then I, I kept passing on companies where I didn't understand the market. So I think there's like two kinds, there's three kinds of markets. There's markets that I understand and think are good. And that could be like B2B software. I'm like, yeah, good market. There's lots of opportunities. Maybe crowded in the sector, but generally good markets. There's markets that I believe are bad, like location-based social networks. I think are generally speaking just a bad market. And then there's markets where like they're unknown because the products don't exist and they're new markets. And I don't know if they're good or bad. Over time, I've become much more comfortable that if I like the founders and the market is questionable to good, that we'll invest. Mm -hmm. So as long as it's not a market where I'm like, I have strong beliefs that the market itself is bad. If we really like the founders, the odds are higher that we'll invest and not invest. Yes, great. Another big question is valuation of the companies. And what do you use to value a pre-revenue and the post-revenue company? So most of the investing we do is pre-revenue. So it's kind of hard for me to answer. Mm -hmm. What I can tell you is we have a pretty simple scale. For pre-launch, pre-revenue companies, it's a $3 million valuation. It's the company's super early. And we think they're going to need a lot of help. 
it's a four million dollar valuation if they're really early, but they have maybe a prototype or the team is good, and I think they have sort of slightly better than average chances. And then for us, a five three is a company where we think, you know, if this team hacked away at it long enough, they'd probably get to a place where they could convince somebody to give them two million bucks. It's just going to take a lot of effort, and they're going to lose time in the interim, and they're probably better off taking less money in a faster process. Yes, and you have seen growing phases of many startups. What do you recommend for the first-time founders while hiring their first team members? Should they hire more generalists or more specialists? I think it depends on the role. Like Generally speaking, I don't like generalist finance people. I think finance is a skill. Um, but I, I think to take your question in a slightly different way, I think in the very early days of the company, you have this tension between how credentialed is the person and how excited are they to be a part of your company. And I would say I would always, in the very early days, place a really high emphasis on people who are excited about the prospect of joining the company and going on the journey with you. Because the earlier the company, the greater the likelihood that things are going to change. And if you have people who are like committed to the mission and interested in working with the team, they'll generally ride out the ups and downs. If you don't have that, Sometimes those really talented people will leave as soon as things get difficult because they have lots and lots of other good options. Great. And you have seen many pivots of startups. What will be the right approach for the pivots? Um, man, it's, uh, these are all really good questions. I'd say the hardest thing about pivots that I've learned is I think a well thought out pivot where you put time and energy into thinking about what you want to do next can really work. I think oftentimes what happens is I meet companies who their initial idea didn't work and they sort of panic and they flail and they try to work on whatever the next crazy idea is that comes across to them. And so instead of, instead of a pivot being sort of turning into a new idea where you have a lot of time if it ends up being just a big reaction to a lack of product market fit and the founders end up flailing and kind of going from one crazy idea to the next and at the end of the day ends up destroying a lot of value and wasting a lot of time as opposed to genuinely looking for something else impactful to, to build and work on. Yeah, actually you gave a great summer up. And my final question is, what will be the biggest role of a VC other than just putting money into a startup? And I think every investor has different superpowers. Some people are excellent at products. Some people are excellent at uh, hiring. Some people are interesting, are excellent at sales. When I think about what we do well at Freecursor, and that's all I can really talk about it, I think a lot of it is, you know, when you're a founder, you are so focused on your business and like running it day to day, sometimes you just lose perspective on what's working well and what isn't working well. And sometimes as an investor, the best thing you can do is point out to a founder something that isn't working. Like they've been banging their head on customer acquisition for six months. You just go, hey, maybe customer acquisition really isn't a problem. Maybe customer acquisition is a symptom of a bad product or, you know, pointing out the flip side that something's working well. You know, I've had lots of conversations with folks where 
we spend a bunch of time talking about the parts of the business that are not working. And then I go, oh, by the way, this other one seems to be working pretty well. Maybe we should pay more attention to it because it's working, and that's a signal to us of something about customer interest in what we're building. I think sometimes just being an outside perspective is really valuable. Charles, it was a really nice chat. I believe founders will get a lot of takeaways from this. Thank you for your sharings and talk soon. By the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey, whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus teams, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. You can pre-order it from foundersfaq.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.